I started this, this idea of this series of let's look at the words of Jesus after the resurrection. Um, what does Jesus have to say uh, to his disciples? And we're just working our way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, just working our way through. We're actually going to do Matthew, Mark, John, then Luke and Acts together, um, but um, over the course of a couple of weeks. But, I, but each, each of the Gospels records Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But the events that happen after the resurrection look a little different in each one of the Gospels. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that they contradict each other. Um, it just means that they are, they are reporting events, um, sometimes events that occur on different days. There are different things that are being recorded. And sometimes they're recording different parts of the same event. Um, this, is, this is something that happens in the Gospels quite often. Uh, in, in one gospel, you might read that Jesus healed a blind person on the way to Jericho. And then in another gospel, you read that Jesus healed two blind people um, on the way to Jericho. And I've seen critics go, aha, see, a contradiction. I'm like, did you not take first grade math? Um, you can heal one person and that one person be a part of two people, right? It, it's, that's not a complicated idea. It's like, so we're just telling a story about one of the guys, and then we're telling a story about both of the guys. It's, it's not a contradiction. Um, there are some things in the Gospels, uh, especially about the resurrection, it's really hard to get, what, what is, is this the same thing? Is it a different thing? Um, but here, we have a moment where it opens very similarly to uh, to Matthew. Last week we talked about Matthew. And Matthew, the two Marys go to uh, to em- to uh, to embalm Jesus' body. He's been laid in the in the grave for three days, and they go to embalm his body. And when they get there, there's an earthquake, and there's a guy in a white robe shows up, and there's a whole conversation. Um, and as we as we went through that, we talked about fear. Jesus says, "Do not fear." Well, today Jesus talks about a different subject. He talks about belief. Last week we talked about fear. The opposite of fear is faith. You still experience the same fear, terror, and all of those things, but you choose to believe. And we're going to expand on that today, uh, looking at Mark chapter 16. So let's read Mark 16, uh, verses 9 through 20. Um, I'm going to comment about it in a minute, but let's just read these verses here. Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. Now, when he, Jesus, arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and the hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be, ba- will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So when the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Do you join me in a word of prayer? 
Father, once again we come to your word. We ask that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds. Lord, that the the written word would reveal to us the living word, that we would see Jesus in all that we do, not just uh, as an idea, not just as a, a picture somewhere, not just as a literary figure, but the living, real, resurrected Christ, the head of the church, Uh, the Lord of our lives, the sustainer of creation, uh, and see how he is at work in us. We pray this in his name. Amen. In Greek, there's a lot of ways to make a a negative. Um, You can say that somebody doesn't believe by by using, uh, just saying, not, um, believing. Uh, the word not is me, all right? And pisteo is the, is the word believe. So you could just say me pisteo, me pisteo, uh, not believing, all right? To not believe. But Mark chooses to do something different here. Um, and Mark uh, utilizes something in Greek where you can just take the letter A or alpha and put it at the beginning of a word and make that word mean the opposite of what it means, Um, So a theist, we do this in English, a theist is someone who believes in God. An atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God. We do this in English. We we pick this up from Greek. Mark chooses to use, when when we run these these moments where we read that they do not believe, they did not believe. So verse 11, they would not believe it. Verse 13, they did not believe it. Uh, And then in verse 14, he rebuked them for their unbelief. Um, And down in verse 16, uh, whoever does not believe will be condemned. These are all apisteo. It is not just not believing. It is the opposite of believing. It is not just not faith. It is the opposite, to do the opposite of faith. Now, we don't really have a, a super great word for this. Doubt doesn't really fall into it, um, although there's a part of that distrust, disbelief. We have lots of different words that we could translate it. It's just, it's, it's take this idea, belief, faith, and turn it upside down, and that's what this means. It is, it is in a sense, this idea that um, one chooses a path. One chooses belief or the opposite of a belief in their lives, in their lives. And there is a difference between just not believing or having trouble believing, all right, which is usually when we talk about somebody not having faith and those kind of things, it's 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 just having trouble believing and actively not believing. There's a difference between uh, struggling to have faith and choosing not to have faith. There is a difference between these these two ideas. Uh, Faith is uh, an active choice, and and I do believe it's a choice to accept something as true, even though I may not have evidence. It's an act of trust, even though I may not be able to prove it. That's what faith is. Disbelief is actively saying something can't be true unless you can prove it. And it comes from a position of no trust. Now, a healthy skepticism is useful in science. Um, A healthy skepticism is useful toward science. Um, 
healthy skepticism is useful in history. It's also useful in looking at history. We as human beings need to think we have to be critically engaged. When somebody says something is true, we should at least be asking the question, why is it true? But when we come to faith, we're going to hit a roadblock on that because faith by its definition is believing in something that necessarily can't be proven. I don't, I don't need, and, and people use the illustration of a chair, right? Faith is believing that a chair is going to support you when you sit on it. That's not faith. That's experience. That's quantifiable proof. All right. Every time I've sat on a chair, most of the time, that I've sat on a chair, that chair has borne my weight. Now, there have been a couple times I tried to sit in little kid chairs. While I have the stature for it, I do not have the weight for it. Um, I do not have the width for it, um, and usually those chairs explode. Uh, we, we, generally, uh, we generally, faith is not the same as I sit down on a chair and that chair is going to support my weight. That's experience. That, that's, that's part of your journey. You, every time you've sat in a chair, it supported your weight, except for you know, sitting in little kitty chairs. So, but even if you, if you know the chair is not going to support your weight, you have alerts in your body that tells you that it's not going to support your weight. Now, there's one particular chair that we experience this in, and this is just an illustration of this. Um, we trust, without a doubt, that when we sit on the toilet seat, it's going to be there, right? You know where I'm going with this. Our faith in that runs right to the point where we should have encountered the seat, and we don't. Then suddenly, instinct says, stand up. All right? I don't need to get any further in the detail. I think we all understand what I'm talking about. But we have built into an experience that actually requires extra reaction in order to, when that experience doesn't work. When we start to stumble or fall or something, we have experienced that my foot is always going to bear the weight. So when I take a step and suddenly my foot doesn't bear the weight, we have to, we have to adapt to it because that's experience. We've, we've experienced. That is not the way that faith works. Faith is... is not something that we just develop a natural experiential dependence upon. It is a work. It's something that we have to do. It's a discipline. We have to constantly be learning and growing in our faith. Look at these three guys, these, these, these disciples, and their journey with Jesus. Jesus constantly tells his disciples, and I haven't gone through and counted it, but he does it a number of times. He tells them, I'm going to die. But don't worry. God's in control. He's told them and told them and told them. He's taught them about faith. He's told them about faith in a mustard seed. He's talked and talked and talked about you've got to believe in things you can't see. He says, you've got to trust. And they were all nodding their heads saying, yeah, 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 yeah. But then... When something that he promised would happen, he promised to his disciples that he would be raised again from the dead, actually happens, what is their response? Disbelief. It's not just, well, I'm going to need to see that. It is, that can't be true. It can't be true. When we, the, the women go to him in verse 11, and, and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her. So Mary comes in and she says, Jesus is alive. I saw him walking around. They didn't believe. They disbelieved. They opposite of believed. Said that can't be so. 
prove it. Prove it. That's not faith. It's not faith to say, I will follow God if he proves himself to me. It's not faith to say, I will, I will pray if God answers the prayers that I pray. That's not faith. Now, I know that that sounds very harsh, but it's true. Well, I will go to church as long as I have an experience every time I go. Now, I can guarantee you will have an experience. What the experience might be, that we never know until the beginning of the day. Um, but you, if you only go to church because you're going to get an experience, I need proof that God is present in that church service. Every time I walk into a church service, I want to feel the Shekinah glory of God descend upon me. It is going, And if he doesn't, I'm not going. That's not faith. Faith is saying that the Bible says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. And you say, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to worship. I'm going to be part of the church because that's what Jesus told me to do. That's what the Bible told me to do. I may not get anything out of it. There may be no service to me. There may be no proving to me. And if you think that I haven't, as a pastor, gone through periods as a pastor where I've gone to church going, I don't want to go. They're mean to me. They don't listen when I talk. I'm not ready. I don't feel good. See, I coughed, so I have to stay home and quarantine. You know, you don't think that there aren't times that, that, that everybody goes through this. But faith is trusting what God has said and doing what he's told us to do and believing what he's told us to believe, trusting our God even in our struggles to believe. I, I would love for Mark have to describe this and said, and ten of them didn't believe, but one of them went, well, maybe. That's not what we get. We get they did not believe. And then he appears to another another form to two of them. Got to love that line. Another form to two of them. Um, and we'll talk about this later. This is the the um, either the disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, or it may be an appearance to Simon Peter and Andrew. We don't. We're not entirely sure. But as they walked in the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. Now, I got it. Okay. So first, the lady that went to the gravesite went and told them they saw him alive, and they didn't believe. Then two other guys show up and tell them that, that he, they saw him alive, and they still don't believe. There's more going on here than just a struggle to believe. They have locked down. Jesus is dead in their minds. And so it doesn't matter how many people come and tell us that he's not dead. We're not going, we, we disbelieve. We are the opposite of faith at this point. We are locked in. Now, why? Right? We could talk about their motivation all the time. What was it about the disciples that was moving them to this? That, that they were, uh, what, what was it that was going on? I, I, I imagine in Peter's mind, um, and because we all know Peter was an odd guy, 
Uh, we just, I just imagine in Peter's mind going, man, if I hadn't denied him, he'd still be alive. Man, if he, I, I would, he'd be okay. It'd be all right. I mean, Peter is guilt-ridden over this whole situation. I, I, I guarantee you that that's how Peter was. He's weeping. He's crying over it. He's, he's distraught over it. And we know that because in the Gospel of John, a conversation that Jesus has with Jesus, with, uh, with, with Peter. Um, but they have locked into this idea. He's dead. He's gone. We've got to go and go on with our lives. At one point, uh, Peter actually goes. He goes. Well, uh, Jesus is dead. I guess we're, we should go fishing. Which I mean is not the worst solution to the problem, right? I mean that's it's okay. Um, but uh, they, they're they're locked in. They have decided that this is not going to happen. They're not even struggling or trying to believe. I want, I want you to see, I want you to understand, they're not even trying to believe. They do not believe. It doesn't say they doubted. It doesn't say they wandered. It doesn't say they were amazed or awed to hear this. It says they did not believe. In the face of, by the way, multiple witnesses, they choose to not believe. Things always happen in threes. Mary shows up. The two disciples show up, and then Jesus shows up. During a meal, and he rebukes them. Now, that had to have been an interesting experience. To be sitting at a meal, the person that you are convinced is dead, despite the testimony of three people, four people, the two Marys and these two men, the person you refuse to accept is alive, interrupts your meal and starts rebuking you in the middle of the meal. Jesus shows up and says, what is up with you guys? Why didn't you believe? He said, no, Jesus was gentle. Jesus was like, oh. And they're all like, oh. No. Jesus shows up in the middle of the meal and he begins to rebuke them. Now, they should be used to Jesus rebuking them at this point. He does it all the time. And Peter probably goes, yep, that's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. What's the difference between faith and belief? The difference between trust and demanding proof? What's the difference in our relationship with Christ between us believing him to do supernatural and extraordinary things, and, and if he can do those things uh, in himself, he can do them in, in, in us. What is the difference between us believing, even when we don't have proof and evidence, and us disbelieving? It's the shape of our heart. Now, it's not like the Grinch, the size of our heart. All right? Um, it's, it's the hardness of our heart. What does he mean with this? This is such an interesting idiom. Um, how many of you played ba- baseball? I almost said basketball. Um, how many of you played baseball as a kid? How many of you know how to properly treat a baseball glove? All right. What is the process for treating a baseball glove? How do you get your baseball glove ready to play? You break it in. How do you break it in? Okay, oil it, elastic, stick it in your pillow, all those things, right? 
What if you've done all that and then you just leave your, your baseball uh, mitt uh, glove for, I don't know, 10 years? What, what shape is your glove going to be in? You can go in my garage and find out how, what shape mine's in. What shape is it going to be in? It's going to be stiff. It's going to be dried out. That, that leather is all beat up. You put your hand in it and you go, oh, that was sweaty still. Right, but it's it doesn't it doesn't move right. And what do you got to do? You got to re-break it in, right? You got to oil that thing up again. You got to soften that leather. You got to smooth it out. It is Nathan. Brace yourself. Life of hard work. It's coming. Right. <laughs> you got to warm it back up again. You got to get it supple again. You've got to stretch it out again. That's what he talks about with the hardness of heart. That your heart can't just be soft one day and just stay soft for the rest of your life. That your attitude toward Christ, your faith in Christ, you can't just set it and forget it, no matter how much uh, the, the oven guy, the infomercial guy tells you, set it and forget it. Um, your faith, your heart, your desires, it has to constantly be treated. It has to be constantly warmed up. And what's the best thing that you can do for a baseball glove? Use it. Keep it moving. Keep it warm. Keep it treated. And what's the best thing you can do for your heart to keep your faith alive and vibrant? Use it. Use it. You say, what do you mean? Your heart is your center of your being. It's not just the physical ba-boom, ba-boom. Unless you're, you know, Doctor Who, then it's bum 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 bum. Um, that's a little science fiction joke, um, but a very little one. Uh, but it has to be, it has to be exercised. It has to be used. It has to be supple. And the disciples had just locked their hearts down. They had let it dry out. They had Jesus died, and their faith died with him. The miracles stopped, and their faith died with him with it their faith stopped the 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 body was laid in the grave and they laid all of their faith down with him and jesus comes back and says what are you doing this is not what i told you to do i told you to keep your hearts warm i told you to keep going i told you to believe to that people were going to oppose you things were going to get in the way that were going to tell you that that belief wasn't possible You stopped exercising your faith. And now you've missed believing in the one you said you had faith in. And here's the most extraordinary thing about Jesus. He shows up to do this. Why? So their faith will become new. So they will grow. So they will be changed. So they will be transformed. So they will continue to live in the awe that they let die. Faith is work. To trust and believe in the face of everything lining up against it. These guys are going to go the rest of their lives telling people that Jesus was raised from the dead and people saying to them, no, he wasn't. You can't prove it. 
You, what, what evidence do you have? And they can't pull out like a, you know, I mean, smartphone and go, see? I got a video. They just have to believe. They have to trust. They have to walk. They have to journey. They have to embrace the reality of mystery. They can't be locked down in hardness. They can't be locked down in the prove-it mentality. They have to continue to exercise their faith, their belief, to say to say soft, stay soft. How many of you have ever had a situation where you you reached a point where you said, "It's never going to happen." God's never going to do this thing. Whatever it is, it's just never going to happen. And you just locked down emotionally. You said, not going to happen. It's, it's, it, it's over. And then God extraordinarily in ways that you do not, cannot fathom did the very thing that you didn't believe was possible. Hopefully that kick-started your belief. Hopefully that opened your eyes. Just because you don't see results doesn't mean you stop believing. Just because it's not all primroses and, and happiness doesn't mean that you stop walking. Just because the one you were following was crucified doesn't mean you stop believing in him. Now, I saved this to the end. I'm going to finish with this. You can take whatever you wanted to. Um, But there are an awful lot of Bible scholars. If you looked in your Bible, odds are that you saw a little line before verse 9 of Mark 16 that said, the oldest manuscripts do not include this text. You You guys have this? The earliest manuscripts. This is why, just so you know, that note, Mark did not write that note. Okay, I just want you to be aware that he didn't write that note. Um, it's also not true. There are a number of references to this text in uh, the oldest the oldest manuscripts we have of the New Testament date from about the year 400, 350, 400 or so. Um, and it is true that two of those do not have this in it. Um, they also are missing large sections of other books. And... Most people will say, well, these early manuscripts do not have this. If you go back and look at these two manuscripts, and I've actually looked at them, it's very obvious that in one of them, this was on the next page, and that page is lost, because the beginning of Luke is missing too. And on the other one, it's pretty obvious the guy just ran out of room. Like all the words are squeezed in, and he's like, ah, that's good enough. Slid it over. This is a testimony of the Holy Spirit. I didn't say Siri. Phone buzzed. Um, Siri. Oh, that's what I said. Ah. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, challenging them to believe. Now, the real reason that people say this isn't in the scriptures is because of the part, the supernatural part. Um, German critics, what we call the dead, perm, the dead German society, did not accept the supernatural in the Gospels. And this text has so much supernatural stuff in it that they went, that can't possibly be real. 
And then they found manuscripts that didn't have it in it and then said, therefore, it's not true. I reject that. We can discuss it later if you want. This is the message of Jesus saying to his disciples, believe. Because when you believe, even though the thing you believe in, you can't prove it, God will do extraordinary things for people to come to him. Don't believe, and you might be able to do mundane things and get people to accept a religious idea. Believe, and God will do some crazy things. And we will see him work in our world. Let's pray. Father, help us not only to believe, but to set aside our disbelief. Help us to soften our hearts, to to exercise them, to to warm them, to um, Lord, to to use that part of us that believes, to grow into what you have called us to do, to remain to remain flexible in our beliefs to see what you have for us to do, to trust you, even in the face of no evidence, even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of challenges, to believe. Father, you know that we can't make any one of us believe. We can't force belief. It's it's you at work in us. Lord, help us to soften our hearts to hear and know you. May you be glorified in all we do and say as we go out from this place. Help us to believe in the extraordinary things you will do. We pray this by your Holy Spirit who gives us the power to believe. By Jesus, the one who we do believe. And in your name and your glory and praise.